0: To join SelfWealth now, use the link in your podcast player or head to selfwealth.com.au and use the coupon code RASK during sign-up. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Please remember that all of the information in this podcast episode is limited to general information only. That means the information is not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So you should seek the advice of a licensed and trusted financial professional before acting on the information. And before you acquire or apply for a financial product, please read the PDS or product disclosure statement, which should be available on the issuer's website. Lastly, please keep in mind that past performance is not indicative of future performance. and welcome to this episode of the Australian Investors Podcast. My name is Owen Raskovich. Today, I'm joined by Max Wagner. Max, how are you going? I'm good, Owen. How are you? Good, mate. Good. This is your first appearance on the podcast, so I'll get you to do a bit of an intro to yourself in just a moment. But uh, for those who don't know Max, Max is currently our ETF analyst at Rask Australia. So he's um, heading up our ETF research and a revamp of our membership service. Max has been a writer for us for quite some time. So people that know or that visit, say, our RAS Media site or visit our Best ETFs website may have seen Max around and may have read some of his stuff. Uh, But more recently, he's focused on uh, helping us create model portfolios and doing some research most recently on, I guess, the landscape in Australia for ethical investing, uh, for sustainable investing and the like. Max is based in Queensland, but he's Moving to Melbourne in twenty twenty one is that right, Max?
1: Yeah, I'm going to be uh, officially a Melbournian from January. Oh, great! That's exciting. Yeah, uh, looking forward to it.
0: Swapping the uh, swapping the the warm weather for well, warm weather warm weather in, in Melbourne in January.
1: Yeah, I think Brisbane it's sort of like eight or nine months of the year though, so it's it's a little bit different. <laughs> it is indeed, uh, Max. For
0: those people who may not have read your work, uh, maybe you can just if I just fire off some questions, maybe you can just give us a, an overview of the way you invest and, and why you do it. So, sure. uh, why don't we just start with how do you invest personally? Like wh- what do you do with your own money?
1: I mean, I try to keep my investing pretty simple. So, um, I, I use ETFs a lot. Um, I, I don't just analyze them. I do use them myself as well. Um, basically, what I try and do is, is build out a core portfolio using ETFs. Um, I sort of consider that to be my, my long-term set-and-forget holdings. So, I've got a, a few different ETFs that I'll just regularly put money into, and um, I don't really look to, to change a whole lot there. I, I keep that pretty stable. And then outside of that, I'll also do a little bit of direct investment um, in, in shares or companies that I have a, a higher conviction in. Um, and those generally sort of long-term holdings as well, but can be sort of shorter time frames as well. At the moment, I'm probably split about eighty percent ETFs, sort of twenty percent direct investments, um, and that that percentage can sort of vary. There's no sort of hard and fast rules there, but I think it's a good way to to have a really simple portfolio in general. But then, you know, still have that opportunity for some higher growth with those direct investments.
0: Mm, I like it. I like simple. I I invest in a in a similar fashion, kind of dollar cost averaging into those bottom draw. Uh, funds or ETFs, but then also obviously having a significant direct stock exposure. I guess a question that probably doesn't get talked about as much is why do you invest?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I'd say the main reason that I invest is to to feel secure. So, I'm, obviously, we always talk about how investment you know inherently comes with with risk, and that's it's very important, but when you're looking at it from a a long-term perspective, I mean, I'm 22. I've got a very, very long time horizon. So, I don't feel like I'm taking on that much risk when I'm I'm looking at it over decades. I think really what I'm doing is I'm setting myself up to have a a secure and a stable financial future where I'm not actually having to to worry about money. And the, the work that I do with sort of Rask Media and Best ETFs, that's what I'm trying to do as well. I'd like to be able to to help people set themselves up so that they actually don't have to think about money because mm. you know as much as we all like talking about it there are you know far more interesting things to do with your life than than sort of sit and think about money all the time and it'd be nice to to not have that stress mm. um i mean uh, besides that I, I do just love investing i love the process of it um and researching you know, the companies that i'm looking into i'm a very curious person and i like to learn sort of how things work and how different industries work and i think that's something that's quite uh, unique to investing. A lot of really good investors, I think you don't necessarily become a specialist in an area, but you build up this really broad range of knowledge across sort of industries and sectors. And I think it's really interesting to um, just to learn about all these different companies and, and how they work.
0: Mm. You said 22, it makes me feel old, but um, I think people <laughs> will will get a sense of, I guess, why, um, you know, I enjoy having p- you part of the team and and why um, you know I, I, I I'll get a sense of why I really like the work that you do and, and the extent that you go to even though you are 22 uh, you've got a very mature head on your shoulders and you've been doing this for a while so I like that um, okay last question before we get into I guess this uh, the summary of, of what we're talking about today um, what would be your top tips for people that are you know maybe suffering from a bit of Decision paralysis, you know, there's two hundred and I think last time I checked, two hundred and ten or so ETFs on the Australian market. The industry is growing really fast. We're seeing more active ETFs come to market. What would be your top tips for people avoiding decision paralysis?
1: Yeah, I mean, it can be really hard. It's it's quite a, a daunting area. There's a lot of, you know, jargon and a lot of people trying to make it more complicated than it has to be. And I'd just say start small, keep it really simple and just start. I mean, people think that you have to have sort of, you know, ten, twenty thousand dollars to start investing and it's just not the case anymore. I think, you know, most ETFs you're looking at a minimum investment of like five hundred dollars. Um, obviously with your brokerage fees, maybe that's a little low, but I am quite comfortable investing in sort of thousand dollar lots. And if you can put your money into, you know, a diversified ETF or some sort of broad based ETF, it's a really good way to to get in with a very small amount of money and have a, a relatively diversified portfolio. Um, so I think you know, we've got all these options now that we are very lucky that it's actually quite easy to get into investing. Um, and then sort of outside of that, I would just say probably read broadly. I think there's a lot of value in financial news, but it's important to to read outside of that as well. I read a lot about economics and trade and international relations, that sort of thing. It, it's all it's all relevant. Um, and so, just be curious and, and ask questions. You know, if you see a company that you're interested in, even if it's not listed. Looking at how those businesses are, are operating and getting a sense of basically how the world works and and sort of working out what's actually going on around you.
0: I think that's the the great thing about investing is, it's it's unlike many other fields where there's always something new to learn every day. I mean, you learn something no matter what your profession, I guess, but there is something that changes every day. You know, the market is up, the market is down. There are new products coming to market, new companies, um, and old companies solving new problems. So there's always something to keep you interested. So Max, one of the things that we've been working on recently is kind of designing these these ETF portfolios. And in particular, the one that probably has taken up the most of our time is thinking about how to invest, quote unquote, ethically or sustainably in Australia and some of the options that investors have. Um, We're marrying the research that we do with direct stock investing, whether that's ASX or global um, for our membership services. We're marrying that with um, a course that we're rolling out, which is a, a, an ethical investing 101 course, so to speak. And then also we, my plan is over time that as we provide these ETF reviews and we do direct stock analysis, what we can do is we can incorporate out our ethical screens and our um, ESG screens on top of our direct stock research, which will help us, I guess, better deliver outcomes from a quality perspective on the stock front, but also for our members who care about these things. And so recently, one of the things that we did was we conducted an an ethical survey. You and I put a a short survey together that people found extremely difficult uh, according to feedback, Um, but we did get a very good um, sample size and a number of people wrote in to say that it was actually a really good test of their own, I guess, um, lines or understanding where the line is on ethical versus sustainable versus just a, a vanilla or normal investment that they might make in their portfolio. Um, and so what we did is we conducted this survey to try and get a sense of what the, the vast majority of investors believe is an ethical investment and I guess what isn't by, by that definition. And then we're going to use that to inform our ethical, that building of out of our ethical portfolios. Um, but one thing, I don't know, I guess just in broad strokes, Max, one thing that I found um, based on your research and based on what we've done is that a lot of the options in Australia probably aren't what people expect them to be. So, they're not at the level that people would expect them to be for a quote-unquote ethical investment.
1: Yeah, that's right. I think some of the options we have available, they're not um, they're not necessarily bad options, but as you said, it's just not quite what people are expecting. And I think there's a, a level of sort of research and education that needs to, to go into that um, space mm. first for people to really understand what they're buying into um, and understanding that maybe if you're buying an ethical ETF, it's not necessarily going to to line up perfectly with what you believe in um, mm. and sort of understanding the difference between uh, ethical and, say, sustainable investing.
0: Mm. I think that's the, the thing, too, that you brought to my attention was before we even did this question or before we started our research is what's the difference between an ethical investment and sustainable investing or, or a sustainable investment? And while on the surface, it might seem obvious to a lot of people, that distinction probably isn't well known. So- Maybe before we get to the results, Max, what did you think sustainable investing was versus ethical investing,
1: and did that stack up after we did the questionnaire? Yeah, so I mean, my initial impression of it was that uh, you sort of had this, uh, I guess, broad umbrella of responsible investment, and I think ethical and sustainable investing both sort of fall under that that broader category. Um, mm. They're they're quite confusing because there's no sort of set formal definitions for either term. Um, and most of the time, you'll see them used interchangeably. But I think there are some sort of some slight differences in there. I would personally say that sustainable investing is is more to do with uh, societal values. So, you know, investing in companies that are operating you know, with consideration for their environmental, social and governance factors. So, there's uh, ESG factors, which is probably a term that you've heard thrown around uh, quite a lot lately. Um, and mm. it's basically excluding the companies that are doing... Uh, the, the most harm to to the world or to society whereas i think ethical investing takes it a step further and you know you screen out all those same sort of um, you know, bad companies if we can call them that but you you take it a step further and you're looking specifically for companies that align with your own values ethics and beliefs so i think ethical investing is sort of a more personal approach um, and probably a little more in-depth than than what sustainable investing might be Hmm. And it's it's kind of that thing. Um,
0: I guess the line here is, as an investor, do you choose to support companies that do good, which might be something that you have a positive filter for or a positive screen for? So, you reward companies effectively that have a tendency to do better and push the envelope forward in terms of ESG and, and what have you? Or do you avoid bad companies? So, Obviously, we're using good and bad. I mean, that def- how you define good and bad is totally up to you. But do you avoid bad companies? So, one of the things that we find, I guess, most commonly, and I saw this when I was doing a lot of my direct managed fund research, is that many active funds, and I'm principally talking here about equity, so global shares, Australian shares, etc. What I found is that most most active managers choose to exclude. Um, industries according to ESG principles or according to their investment process anyhow. It's just not well known. So for example, companies, uh, for example, fund managers often exclude uh, uh, companies operating in fields such as pornography, cluster munitions, and, and, and the like. So businesses that you know probably are prone to regulatory action, to scrutiny from investors, etc., I don't think it makes it very palatable when they're trying to attract investors into their fund that they might have some of these names in there, so they exclude them anyhow. But I think, Max, what might be helpful for people is maybe if you can just define what we mean by positive filtering or negative filtering, because I think that distinction is also quite important.
1: It, there's sort of the two main approaches when it comes to, to ethical and sustainable investing, so using either a negative filter or a positive filter or possibly both. So the negative filter is more about excluding companies um, mm. that's that either you know, do meet certain criteria or don't meet certain criteria. So looking at excluding, it, often it's it's whole industries. Um, so things like you know weaponry, pornography, tobacco, gambling, um, excluding you know what we might refer to as sort of sinful um, companies, sin stocks, um, or vice industries. So things mm. around sort of addiction, that sort of area. Uh, whereas a positive screen might look for. Um, certain factors where a company is maybe outperforming. Um, So a good example of that is a a few of the ETFs in this sort of space. Um, They look for things like they'll take the top one third of performers uh, in terms of carbon emissions in their industry. So they're they're applying a positive screen, not just to exclude the worst companies, but also to find who are the top performers on on these sort of metrics that we've got. Um, And so when you apply, apply both a, a negative screen and a positive screen, often what you'll find is that overall, I think it's sort of a more thorough screening process and you end up with companies that um, generally are, are, are doing really good things. Um, it, it does sort of depend on what that sort of criteria they're using is. Um, and there's no set. there are no set rules for, for what you might include in a positive filter. And it, it sort of varies from, from fund to fund and ETF to ETF. Um, and it's important to look at sort of what they're actually looking for when they do those positive and negative screens. But that's the sort of general idea of it, that the negative screens are excluding those companies that are doing sort of bad things, whereas the positive screen is looking more for companies that are top f- performers on on certain metrics.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, that, that kind of sets the scene for the results that we're just going to summarize here for listeners. And you can, you can get access to the survey if you like. We'll put a link in the show notes. Um, so, I... We're just going to pull out a few of the responses and 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 samples that we thought might be interesting. Whether you're a DIY investor, which is what the overwhelming majority of our listener base is, or if you are a you know financial advisor, or you're a fund manager, finance professional. Um, so I guess let's just start from the, I guess the simplest, um, I guess response and question that we had in the survey and probably the one that's most visceral to people is what industries. Do investors want to avoid if they have to have the choice of, you know, I do not want anything to do with this industry. What are those industries, and what types of companies fit in there?
1: Yes, I mean, the, to be honest, there aren't really any prizes for guessing uh, what the worst industries are. So, in terms of the the results that we got, um, people are, are most wanting to avoid things like third world exploitation, um, animal cruelty, child labour. So nothing nothing too surprising there, really. Um, mm. Other results that I think maybe were a little more surprising, if you look at, uh, so one of the options was fossil fuel-focused companies. We only had about 50% of respondents say that they would um, that they would sort of ban investment in that area. I think it is important to note it's quite a strongly worded question. We're talking is, about yeah. stopping everyone from investing in that area. Um, and then, yes, it's similar sort of results for things like um, land degradation caused by mining, which there was sort of referring to uh, permanent and irreversible damage rather than... Um, sort of temporary damages to landscapes which you know might be repaired over time um, I think some of the the more interesting results are things that people aren't so concerned about or, or things that people would consider ethical so big tech companies people don't really have an issue with those in general um, or, or at least wouldn't ban investment in that industry um, things like genetic modification um, alcoholic uh, beverages, so al- alcohol producers—they all scored pretty low in terms of people wanting to just outright avoid those industries. Um, and the other, th- the other industry that probably fit in there is mining as well. We only had about ten percent of people say that they would um, just ban mining outright, or oh, sorry, yeah, investment I, in mining.
0: And I think that's an important point. We deliberately worded this question very strongly because we wanted to get, I guess, the most most polarizing responses. Um, and I guess that leads us to our next point, which is that um you know in, in in regards to industries I think what what this survey this questionnaire revealed is that it goes beyond simply just avoiding industries it's probably more so about um you know not every investor wants to ban all types of money because the overwhelming majority of us know that we can't just do that overnight and so um we we tried to introduce uh questions that would draw some distinction between that. For example, one of the things that we've noticed in our research is that a lot of these quote unquote ethical portfolios that are constructed by robo advisors, by ETF providers, by um, fund managers in general, what we've noticed is that many of them include um, allocations to gold. And yet we know that some people prefer to avoid gold and gold mining um, as an investment because of the impact to the environment. Yet they are in gold portfolio. Uh, they are in diversified portfolios and ethical portfolios. So, I guess um, what I took away from that is that, you know, maybe the vast majority of us are okay with many of these industries to an extent. It's just about knowing which companies um, should be avoided and which shouldn't. Is that am I kind of on the right track there, or have I missed something?
1: Yeah, no, I think that's that's pretty much what we found um, in terms of investing in gold. Um, having an allocation to gold within an ethical uh, portfolio, we had about 57% say that they would still agree that's an ethical portfolio. So, people are, are not sort of too concerned about that. Uh, I think it is an important point, though, that uh, it's, it is sort of more about the company than the industry. So, if you look at an example of that, would probably be uh, genetic modification. So, we only had about 13% of people say that they would sort of ban investment in that outright. But we did actually ask a more specific question about genetic modification uh, later on in the survey. And what we found is that the, the results were a little bit different. People weren't so against it then. So, we had about 40% say that it's neither ethical or uh, unethical. We had 12% say it's slightly ethical and 13% say it's very ethical. So, I think what we're seeing there is that it's, there's, a, there's a distinction that has to be made and we're talking about very complex industries. And so, if we're looking at something like genetic modification if it's genetic modification for, for food, if we're going to ban that entirely, we need to rethink how and where we're getting our food from. Um, whereas mm-hmm. if it's genetic modification to, you know, if we're modifying people in some way that's, you know, it's, it's not for medical purposes, it's just for, for a bit of fun or to, you know, to create <laughs> something that's- there's, there's no value to it. Um, it. It's definitely an industry that can have uh, a very unethical- uh, motive, but mm. it's it's complex and you can't sort of lump all those companies into the same category. And I think that's where we sort of started to see some distinction with people saying, well, I wouldn't ban investment in the industry, but I do have some issues with it or some hesitations with having that in an ethical portfolio and, mm. and just people saying that maybe they'd want to know a bit more about the individual companies first. I
0: think, I think part of this also comes back to, um, I guess, people understanding the second order impacts of um, ethical investing, ESG investing, um, whatever you want to call it. Um, and so we, previously on the show, Max, you might know this. I think you do. Um, I talked about a company called RPM Global, which is a, a software business that operates um, in the mining industry to the extent that it helps miners become more efficient and it's principally involved in coal, both underground and above ground coal, and oftentimes people, you know, cringe when the idea of investing in coal is brought up. Um, but what we found is that from the survey, if we, we put this uh, question directly covering this, and we said, you know, you'll, imagine you're looking at a company that invests in the, that operates in the mining industry. The company is not a miner itself, but it provides the software to mining companies so that their operations may be more efficient, reducing carbon emissions and the miner's impact on the environment. Is this an ethical investment? Now, I expected this to be a pretty uh, level playing field in terms of how many people said they would invest in that company and how many people say that that's not necessarily an ethical investment. Um, what what were the results
1: of that? Uh, it was overwhelmingly deemed to be ethical. We had about 92% say that they would agree that's an ethical company. And I think the, the big takeaway from this is that negative screening in particular maybe can't be relied upon so Mm. it's very possible that when you apply a broad negative screen um, that excludes entire industries you're actually missing really good companies that that are doing really good things um, and they're trying to sort of improve those industries that they're operating in so i think it's sort of important to to note that these screens they they can miss a lot of things Um, and it's you can't Mm. always rely on just a you know, a computer running an automatic filter to to work out what's going to be an ethical portfolio and and what's not. I think it's it's not that straightforward a lot of the time.
0: Yeah, and that brings us to another point, which is, um, you know, we we talk about say negative screening, which from a quantitative perspective is quite easy. You know, we can say um, if. Company you know, operates in this industry or earns 20% of its revenue from pokies, exclude. If company has a certain, you know, first quartile ESG rating, include that. We can, we can do that pretty easily. But what we asked is um, in the survey is we asked can, from an investor's perspective, do they believe that in a portfolio can be ethical um, without hum- direct human input? So that's a really interesting one because a lot of people think that, that it's too complex to just have to take a quantitative approach to this. So what did people say um, when we asked them, is human input required to be an ethical investment versus a sustainable investment?
1: Yeah, so the the results were a little bit different um, for for ethical versus sustainable investment. So for ethical, we had about 73% say that, uh, no, an ETF can't be an ethical ETF if there's no human input or human overlay um, above the positive the positive and negative filters that are being applied. So, people quite overwhelmingly believe that there has to be some sort of um, human involvement in creating that portfolio um, for it to actually to be ethical. So, a lot of people don't seem to, to fully trust those those screens that mm-hmm. are being applied. Um we had about 65% say that uh, sustainable investing would also need a human perspective. Uh, we had about 35% say that actually it can be sustainable without that human involvement. And I think that sort of comes back to, to making the distinction between ethical and sustainable investment. I mean, personally, I would say that an investment probably can be sustainable without human input um, because it's more focused on excluding those companies that are doing the most harm. And I think you probably can do that with with good uh negative screening. Whereas the the ethical side of things, I think it gets too personal um, just to apply a, a broad screen to exclude mm. certain companies or to, to filter out the top performers. I think it really goes sort of a step beyond that.
0: Mm. And I, I, um, I was watching some presentations from um, the investors at AQR who have crunched a lot of numbers on this. Um, and what we've what from according to the literature what we've found is that um you know it, during times of market crisis and and times when there's been a significant dislocation in financial markets oftentimes companies that score higher on ethical um ethical principles if you like or esg principles they tend to they tend to outperform so outperform wider gross with wider gross margins higher returns on assets um and faster growth so those are Really interesting, I guess, nudges towards taking a focus to this, but oftentimes, um, as we know, it's quite nuanced. So uh, most of the samples that we have available are pretty much based on on data sets that uh, focus on ESG principles or carbon emissions or those types of things. But oftentimes, if we want to be more um, focused with our ethical investing, um, we need to second guess those portfolios and the data sets to understand what constituted um, a, you know, a first quartile ESG rating versus a, a fourth quartile. And although um, accounting standards like IFRS and, and GAAP are incorporating these processes now and, and they're doing it with more rigor, it's probably still not at that level where we can say for sure that um, a quantitative approach is probably the best approach. Um, I think the thing, Max, that gets a lot of people in Australia, and this is something that kind of irks me a little bit, is the lack of um, of op- Opportunities to invest in 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 products that you believe come close to your personal values. So, as you alluded to, and this is something that we know is that you know there's almost always going to be a compromise when you're investing in in shares or even ETFs or managed funds, what have you. Um, There's almost always a compromise. So you're never going to get if you you know if you have 50 people in a room, there's going to be 50 different sets of of ethical principles and values that apply and beliefs that apply to those people. So you can't it's, it's very hard to do a one-size-fits-all with this. Um, but the thing is, I guess, with this um, is that people are also worried that when they invest um, ethically, they have to give something up. So that means lower returns or it means higher fees. Have, have you seen anything, I guess, or do you have any opinion on fees more broadly and what people would be willing to accept in order to invest according or close to
1: their principles? Yeah. So, when we look at the uh, the ethical ETF space in Australia at the moment, in general, the fees are higher than what you would see for, I guess, a, a normal um, ETF. So, at the moment, you do sort of have to be willing to to pay a higher management fee to get into these funds. Um, it, it's very much the same in the managed fund space as well. You do tend to get higher fees um, for, for funds that focus on Um, That ethical perspective and and consider things like ESG ratings. So we did ask people what they thought in terms of um, both performance and fees. So we had two questions around this. Um, The first one was basically comparing two ETFs. So you have an ethical ETF uh, that matches your your personal ethics. Um, And Mm -hmm. then just another, just your everyday normal ETF. Uh, We're assuming that they have the same management fee But over the next five years, the ethical ETF returns 7% per year on average, while the other ETF returns 8% per year. So, you get an extra 1% uh, for investing, Mm -hmm. not unethically, but without that ethical focus. Uh, what we found is that most people would actually be really happy with that. So, about 50% of people say that they'd be happy with the result and would uh, continue putting money into the ethical ETF. And 32% said that they would be very happy with the result and would actually start putting more money into the ETF. So, what we found is that people overwhelmingly are actually willing to accept a slightly lower return to invest ethically. What was interesting about that, though, is that it was a slightly different response when we talked about fees. So, we put another question to people asking about, again, two, uh, two different ETFs, so an ethical ETF and a normal one. The ethical ETF is charging 1.2% per year for its management fee while the, the normal ETF charges 0.2%. So, again, it's a, it's a 1% difference. And over the next five years, we assume that both ETFs are returning 8% per year before fees. So, if you think about it, it's still just a 1% difference. But what mm. we found is that a lot more people were a bit more disappointed with that. So, we had about 26% of people say that they would be disappointed and they would consider adding less money to the ethical ETF going forward. But 11% said they would be really disappointed and would probably sell their holding in the ethical ETF. So, on the surface level, while it seems to be the same, um, people are a little more cautious about paying higher fees. I would say one sort of interpretation of that is that when you're looking at uh, future returns for these ETFs, the return isn't guaranteed, while the fee is. So, it's mm. it, it sort of sounds the same, but it's it's not because if you if you're going to be paying one point two percent versus 02 percent, that's guaranteed that you're you're losing sort of that one percent each year. Uh, whereas if the fees are the same, you don't know what the future performance is going to look like. So maybe that had something to do with uh, why people sort of had different opinions there.
0: Yeah, it's it, we tried to frame this question in a few different ways. So we asked. Um, going back to the gold example, people believe that investing in gold um, typically, you know, that's okay. But do they believe that investing in mining is okay? Um, and so, is there, I guess, um, a distortion between those two responses? So, you know, obviously gold's got to come out of the ground somehow, it's got to be mined. So, that second order impact, do people consider that to be important? What we've done with this question is we've asked the same question in a different way. We've effectively said, you know, based on you know, this is the performance and we can, you know, this is the guaranteed performance um, or this is the fee um, to invest ethically. And we've effectively asked the same question two different ways. And I, I I guess this this was a bit of a cheeky question because it aligns with the the belief that investing in an ethical product or investing in an ethical way costs you something. So some people believe that it's going to cost you returns because you invest ethically and then f- providers, you know, ETF providers, super funds, et cetera, will often charge you more to invest in an ethical product, even though it is very much the same as a vanilla index fund. And um, I think maybe both of those things are wrong. Personally, I don't think investing um, in a way that aligns closer to your values should cost you any more because from a quantitative perspective, from a smart beta perspective, many of these ETF providers, you know, they don't have to do any extra lifting just because they have a separate index that tracks, um, you know, higher ESG rated uh, companies. So I think that's just a bit of creative marketing. Um, but then on the other side, a lot of the data, at least historically speaking, because we can't talk about the future necessarily, but a lot of the data and a lot of the literature that I've read suggests that actually investing in higher higher rated ESG focused companies Um, whether that's in equities and slightly less so in in bond markets or fixed income, it actually yields better returns. So I mentioned before that, you know, the return suggests that companies that have an ESG focus um, tend to have wider margins, tend to experience slightly uh, faster growth and tend to have a better return on invested capital or return on assets. So, um, you know, I don't think it has to cost you anything, firstly. That's my personal belief. And I also think that – it, we shouldn't be slugged more for it. Um, and I guess the the question here, kind of try to understand what other people perceived you know, to, to be the cost of investing ethically. I think we're going to see the cost come down as more of these products come to market. But Max, I guess um, one of the things that also comes to mind is that not only is there kind of a dearth of products here in Australia to invest um, in, but also the rules... Particularly for Australian equities, the, these, these these rules that we apply to funds, um, these quantitative rules, I guess, often can result in exposure to sectors or industries that, um, I guess, raise a few eyebrows for someone who, like me who maybe wants a, to see a more diversified portfolio. So we know in Australia that the, the the big banks and financials and REITs account for a significant part of the market cap. Of the market, you know, um, I, the one way I describe Australian market is, is it's is it's narrow and it's concentrated. So um, those are, you know, I guess two things that can be a little bit precarious if you if you're thinking about, um, you know, the outlook for the financial sector, for example. What what did we find when we asked people, you know, if you you, you invest in an ethical product and you find that the majority or a large percentage of the portfolio is invested in one sector, such as banking, and those banks tend to support or at least are agnostic to lending to to businesses that may be involved in unethical industries. Um, What did did the respondents say? Would they still invest in something like that?
1: So, uh, about 58% said that they wouldn't. So, they're still concerned about that indirect exposure, especially when you're talking about things like financial institutions, uh, particularly banks who are often you know, lending to and supporting these industries that you know we just put all this effort into excluding them from the portfolio, but we're still sort of indirectly funding those industries, uh, and a lot of people do still have an issue with that. And I think it's one sort of way you can look at it, and this is something that we we talked a little bit about yesterday: is that you basically have uh, a triangle with with three points when you're looking at the the ethical ETF space in Australia. So, in uh, economics, you have this idea of the the impossible trinity. So, you've got three uh, three points or three factors, and the idea is that you can never achieve all three at the same time. So, for that, it would be uh, a fixed foreign exchange rate, free capital movement, and an independent monetary policy. I think we sort of have an ethical ETF version of this where your mm. three points are uh, good, cheap, and ethical, pick two. And <laughs> what we sort of see is that you, if you want to have a good ethical ETF, um, often you'll find that it's it's going to cost you. Um, if you want to have you know, a cheap ethical ETF, what we find is that a lot of the time they're not particularly good. And when I say not particularly good, that's often from a sector allocation uh, point of view. So you find that it might be cheap, it might be ethical in the sense that they've excluded all these bad industries. But you end up with really sort of uh, wonky sector allocations and a portfolio that overall... Just isn't that uh, palatable, and it doesn't really look like what you would want to see in a a really good, solid ETF. You know, well diversified ETF. So you end up either moving really heavily into a few different industries, um, or a lot of the time that that is things like financials and REITs. So you have some ethical ETFs where you've got you know thirty five percent of the ETF is in banks, and it's it's mm-hmm. really that question of. First of all, is that good from a, a sector allocation sort of point of view? And then second of all, is that actually ethical or does the indirect exposure still mean that th- there's no real difference?
0: Mm. And this is one thing that you get, and I imagine a financial advisor, and I, I was trying to make this point to to the team, the investing team here, uh, I think it was about a week or two ago, is that if you're a financial advisor and you have just recommended a product that is, let's say, I don't know, 50 or 60% banks or financials and REITs. And in the next year, you go to um, a client and you say, you know what, we had the Royal Commission, we've had the Corona crash and house prices that were a bit fragile, and your portfolio is down 20%, whereas the broader markets, you know, flat or whatever. Um, That's a very tough sell. And so what oftentimes, if I'm being very cynical here, which I guess that's my job to be critical, maybe not cynical, but cynical, Owen would say that, it's very hard for um, a product to be true to label in this sense and be entirely um, quote-unquote ethical or really focused on those core principles that matter to investors because the the providers themselves may be concerned that if they recommend this product that the returns will deviate substantially from the index that they're probably being benchmarked against by investors in any case. For example, let's say in Australia you have the AS6200 total return. If you have an ethical variation of that if it's a truly you know what you believe to be an ethical variation and it's and that the performance deviates substantially from one year to the next i think whether you like it or not many investors are going to benchmark against the traditional index and say well look how much it costs me to invest ethically this year um and um, i think that's another consideration of this finding max is that um you know from the provider's perspective, they want to make sure that they can sell this through advisors, and advisors want to make sure that they can pass this on to clients. Um, but if 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 an investor is sitting back thinking, "Okay, this all sounds a bit," um, I don't know, maybe it's a bit hard. What is, is there anything that, and is there any step that an investor can take to check? I guess um, if the portfolio and the construction of it um, makes sense. And um, what I'm trying to get at here is, I guess. Can investors just go and check the end portfolio?
1: Yeah, I think there's sort of a a few things to touch on there. And I think what we're getting to is, uh, I guess, the main finding from this survey and also the research that we've been doing. And I think it's really important to note that if an investor is approaching this space and wanting to get into ethical investing um, through something like an ETF or a managed fund, I think the most important thing to realize is that they're not necessarily ethical funds. I think it's more accurate to call them sustainable ETFs or sustainable funds. And what you'll actually find is that when you start looking at these ETFs, um, often you know in the PDS or on the website, it'll describe them as ethical funds. But if you look at the name, it's all talking about sustainability rather than it being ethical. Mm. And I think it's that important distinction that these ETFs, that they can't really be ethical from the perspective that, you know, it's going to perfectly align with your your values and beliefs because that's just not, you can't put that to mass market. Whereas if we're talking about sustainable investing and we're talking about societal values, that probably is something that can be packaged into a fund that's uh, appealing or palatable to to a wide range of investors. So, I think it's important to approach it from that perspective of just understanding that these ETFs, Aren't really ethical ETFs, they are sustainable ETFs. Uh, in terms of the, the resources or places people can go to find out about what's actually in the portfolio, I would always go to the, yeah, the ETF providers website. Um, pretty much all of them will have a full list of exactly what's in the portfolio. So they'll give you a sector allocation. You can see uh, what sort of sectors The ETF is actually invested in and then you can get a full list of the individual companies in there and even just having a scroll through that you can start to get a sense of the type of companies that they invest in um, Mm. and and sort of get a sense of what they're happy to include and what they're um, maybe leaving out the other thing I would do is I would read um, obviously the product disclosure statement but most of them will also put out a document about their investing methodology and how they they go about their ethical screening um, and quite a few of them are, are pretty detailed. Um, they'll give quite a lot of information about what they're actually looking for when they're creating these ethical portfolios. Um, there's also probably a few other resources that you can look at. So the uh, the Responsible Investment Association of Australasia, so the RIAA. Um, they provide certifications for ethical investments in Australia. And what you'll find is that pretty much all of the ethical ETFs um, are certified by this organisation. And on their website, they have a whole list of... Um, both ETFs and managed funds that they've uh, given certifications to. So, you can sort of get an idea there of, of what's available in that sort of ethical investment universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you'll also find resources online uh, where people have sort of rated ethical ETFs. So, you have people who are very knowledgeable in the industry and they've gone through and looked, um, taken a very in-depth look at these ETFs or funds and actually ranked them and given them sort of a rating out of five to say, well, how ethical is it really? Um, and all of these resources are pretty easy to find online. So, I think it's it's important to, if you, if you want to get into this sort of ethical or sustainable investing, um, don't just stop it, you know, just because it says sustainable on it, it doesn't really mean much, I don't think. I think mm. you really have to look at what's inside the portfolio. And we actually did find that in the survey as well, just on that. Um, we, we did ask a question around, well, if... Uh, an ethical ETF has been certified by RIAA, would you consider it to be ethical? And 78% of people said, maybe, but I'd have to see the companies inside the ETF first. And I think it's really healthy to have that level of sort of skepticism around these sort Mm -hmm. of financial products. I think it is important to go beyond uh, just the surface level and really look into and understand what you're actually investing in here. Mm. And
0: uh, maybe I'll refrain from uh, naming names or ticket codes, but there, is, there are a couple of ETFs on the Australian market. One of them, um, they're both involved in, in, in bonds or fixed income. And um, one is an ethical ETF, which costs considerably more. The other one is just a vanilla ETF, um, which you'll find in most robo-advisors or you know, diversified portfolios. So both of them investing in fixed income, the ethical ETF carries a fee, maybe two to three times more. Um, and the pool that they're actually investing in, um, let's say there's 10 different types of bonds just for the for round numbers. Let's say there's 10 different types of bonds. The ethical uh, version of the vanilla one actually still invests in nine out of 10 of the bonds. So what you end up paying for is effectively double to three times the amount for the exclusion of one bond or you know, a very small allocation that's excluded. And um, so, you know, it's 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 not good enough, I think, just to have a, an ethical label and just assume that, hey, my portfolio is ethical. So, Max, on that, maybe one last point that we'll touch on just considering the time um, that we've already spoken about this. But one final thing that we'll touch on, what do investors believe um, when it comes to not having all of the products available? So, you know, in a diversified portfolio, we probably want gold, you know, at least most people want gold, uh, stocks, bonds, you know, property. If, If an investor cannot invest in a 100% quote unquote ethical portfolio of ETFs, do investors still believe that it's worthwhile investing? In ethical products?
1: Yeah, for the for the most part, they do. So, we, we looked at having uh, three ETFs, so an ethical shares ETF, um, just a regular sort of US shares ETF and a, a normal bond ETF. And most people, so over 60% um, said that, yes, it, it still makes sense to have the ethical exposure. Um, their reasoning was that you know, every sort of little effort in this space matters and, and having some ethical exposure is better than none. We also had uh, about another 23% say that, yes, they think it's important. Their reasoning was more to do with diversification um, and having that diversification, even if they can't do it ethically. So a little bit of a split between um, motivation, you know, whether it's ethical or um, sort of investment focused, but most people would say that there is still benefit to having ethical exposure, even if you can't make your whole portfolio an ethical portfolio.
0: Yeah, and I think this comes back to just looking through the portfolio. So look through and... Um, see where where this company or where this ethical ETF is invested um, and see which companies or bonds it actually holds. And then you can compare that like for like for something that is just vanilla. And you might determine that the vanilla one is actually a better option. I think for our portfolios at RASC, um, I think the way we construct them will probably end up not having um, an ETF that says ethical on the tin inside the ethical model portfolio simply because it doesn't make sense. It's not worth it. Um, maybe it's a bit of creative marketing on the provider's behalf. So, Max, um, there's a lot that we covered. I think people get a bit uh, thrown off by numbers when you're talking in a podcast and you don't have it in front of you. So, if anyone wants to to get a hold of the the results from the, the ethical questionnaire, you can get that. I'll put it in the show notes. Max Wagner, uh, thanks for taking the time out to join me on the show, mate. Thanks very much for having me.